Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Talking, the program where two old SLPs give you their opinions. Cheryl, you keep saying old, <laughs> experienced, experienced. We have to be honest with our listeners, old, honesty. Oh, how about old and experienced? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, two experienced SLPs. <laughs> so today, we're actually going to talk about neuroscience, and more specifically, Sherry's mostly going to talk about neuroscience, because she knows all the good neuroscience vocabulary and the research. All I know is just, you know, my own personal opinions about it and my own experience. I got, I got not much to contribute, but I'll see where I can jump in. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I have to say, in the last maybe 10 years for sure, and uh, uh, the more that I got involved with the relationship between neuroscience and speech and language pathology and technology and, and how the interventions could, could really help uh, children with communication disorders. I just, yeah, I was I was sold on it for sure, and and uh, it's been about twenty years now. I I would think it's even it might be even a little bit longer than that, but that really the they started talking and realizing the brain has plasticity, and so as people who are looking to retrain the brain or find pathways in brains that aren't developing as fast as they should, or have, you know, uh, different types of development, and you're trying to, to remap the brain, um, that definitely is our field, and, and we need to know and understand it, because ultimately, all of what we're doing is making changes to the brain. And if we don't know how that happens, or we don't know best practice in that area, then um, I think we're falling behind a lot of the research. So um, if, if a child has a developmental problem um, with their communication, uh, neuroscience has a role to play. But probably a lot of the research has maybe come out more in acquired brain injury, where then you have an understanding how specific aspects of the brain that were injured or not functioning, um, how they could be improved. And then the technology that led to um, more uh, imaging and more assessment of the functioning of the brain. So we went, you know, from x-rays to um, CT scans to MRIs and then to things like PET scanning or um, uh, the imaging that that shows real-time activity in the brain and is showing the relationship of how different parts of the brain um, are activated um, by certain stimuli and you're able to actually see that and so there's been research done that actually shows that imaging they they would do an intervention and this is how the brain was functioning say in a child who was a struggling reader versus a normal reader and then they they do their intervention and show they actually beefed up the the area of the brain that the normal normal reader uh, uh, used to have fluent reading. So that objective um, type of information is just so exciting because a lot of our field is, is not as objective as we'd like it to be for sure. Well, well, we can do the testing though. I mean, we can test and see 
this child wasn't able to do this and now they are able to do this. So there's but that always black box in the middle, but yeah, happened. Yeah, there's always been that. But to be able to see it on a an actual brain scan is is pretty exciting to see that area of the brain all of a sudden lighting up that should have been lit up before is now all of a sudden lighting up. So that's pretty exciting. So I am gonna just give you a definition of neuroscience. And this is from Wikipedia, but I'm just going to um, paraphrase what Wikipedia has to say. Neuroscience is the scientific study of the nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, the peripheral nervous system, its functions and its disorders. It's a multidisciplinary uh, science, and it combines so many different areas. And it uses mathematical modeling to understand the fundamental and emergent properties of neurons, glia, and neural circuits. The understanding of the biological basis of learning, memory, behavior, perception, and consciousness has been described by Eric Kandel as the epic challenge of the biological sciences. And just, yeah, if you just think of how complex the brain is, I would say it's probably epic. <laughs> and of course, for any of the speech paths who've never worked in the medical field and never, I mean, you're not as involved with the use of that medical terminology. And I... I guess if I was saying, you know, you, there's not a need to delve into it at that level. What, right. what we're trying to find is the, the best practice and the research that demonstrates to us that um, really what the outcomes of intervention are. Um, and, and so when we were deciding on podcast topics, I said, sure, oh, I really, if I could have people understand as much as I know now in my early career, if I had known that, it, but if I could... Um, it would have made a difference. Because it didn't yeah. come up in my traditional speech path right. training. I've learned it subsequent to that. And and a lot of it, of course, has happened subsequent to that, of course. But I'm not sure that they are even, uh, the, the training programs are even uh, as you know, teaching that at the level yeah. that I wish they would, especially if I said educators, because there's such a barrier. It's been in the five years that I was really trying to help facilitate um, the the interventions that related to that neuroscience. It, it was a barrier. There's a big learning curve for educators. And so um, I wish that all educators and all, you know, uh, board members and politicians and that had that basic understanding of um, when relating to education that physical uh, uh, learning that or the changes that are occurring in the brain and why in the environments that we have now children are struggling and I think we have an understanding that they're struggling and we're wondering about social media and we're wondering is there too much screen time um, are, are you know children not not um, developing their their skills because um, they are are narrowed into their social media kind of scenarios and the answer is yes yes <laughs> <laughs> you are a product of what you do with intensity and frequency and you're also um, one of the the mantras is a, a brain that uh, fires together, wires together. So anything you do repetitively, if you're sitting in the in for hours gaming, or if you're um, uh, you spent in, in for, uh, um, you're practicing basketball 
or yes, violin. Or ballet. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And so that is how we develop excellence. Yes. You know, and on in the area that we're talking about, children who are struggling, it's the same thing. Frequency and intensity. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I can obviously see that from just working in the schools and um, not being able, in a lot of cases, to provide the frequency and intensity and just starting all over again. I think of uh, uh, our old professor at Minot State, Dr. Williams. He used to give this example about how the brain, and I mean, we knew very little about the brain at, at this point, and I thought, he, this is quite amazing that he would say this but he would say that you're you're making new pathways in the brain and it's like you're you're hacking through a really dense jungle to make a pathway but if you think about if you think of it that way if you leave that you hack you know 10 feet into the jungle you're making this pathway yay and then you leave it for a week and you don't come back it's overgrown and you just have to hack that same path over and over again and and that's so much what i saw with the kids that i was able to see so infrequently that's that's a perfect example for sure one of the things that's changed and and a dynamic when we talk about neuroscience that i think it's important for people to know too is the changes that have have occurred in our own processing and our own um, loads of processing. So, you know, you and I have talked about years ago, you um, there you maybe had at growing up 10 little golden oh, books. Yeah, yeah. And, but you didn't really have much TV. No. You had a little bit of TV. No, no not much, yeah. Um, so but we all knew the same stories, the Little Red Riding Hood, the Three the Little, little Pigs. Or the, but Goldilocks. Think, think yeah. of the books now and think of the, thousands, the options thousands. That, that children have. And so then that rehearsal part where right. we only had 10 books, so you went back to the same ones and you right. developed, first of all, the language, the understanding of the story, the characters, you could go back. Um, well, there, there was so much to it because if you... You would pick, you would only have 10 to choose from, and you would pick, you, you know, for a favorite, maybe you'd have Red Riding Hood, that'd be your favorite for two weeks, and you'd pick it every night for two weeks. But every night, you're hearing, if, you're, if your mom is reading you that story, every night you're learning something new from that same story, and you're building on it, you're adding to it. The details. The details. So at first, you may have a, a some kind of, cognizance that oh my goodness there's a girl who's wearing red and her grandma gets eaten by a wolf well there you go but then later on you realize well her mom told her to take a basket to her grandma and then later on you realize her mom told her to take a basket to her grandma because her grandma's sick and then so there's all of this stuff that has to go on and you learn the grammar of it you learn the vocabulary of it the meaning the concepts and then at one point you get to retell it to your younger siblings or cousins or or whatever yeah you get the book out and read it to your dollies right yeah to your dollies <laughs> Daddies. exactly the the relationship back to neuroscience though of course is the the difference between a child now and us then mm -hmm. and that intensity of saying of doing the same story over and over and I think again it even happens in school they tend to pick a new book for each day yeah and something because they're looking at the novelty or whatever right um the other part of with relating to that is if once children started to watch television 
and it's probably true of gaming and, and YouTube and all of that too. But if you think, and if most of us aren't even aware of it, but every about every three seconds, the image on the television screen changes. And that alerts your brain. When there's a change, it alerts your brain to pay attention, something new. Mm -hmm. Pay attention, something new. And it feeds the brain to be able to keep watching, keep watching, keep watching, keep watching. Think of that versus your teacher now standing up in front of the classroom with a static blackboard with no movement and why children might have trouble sustaining their attention to that. Right. It's not, the brain is not alerted enough. It's not given enough um, uh, uh, chemical. Uh, it doesn't generate enough chemical to stay sustained. So um, that's a part of neuroscience too that I think if you have more understanding of it, you can uh, realize um, that it's not behavioral in in children just, you know, uh, not interested in what you're doing. They really can't. They really right. can't uh, pay attention to you. Um, um, so the other aspect that I wanted to sort of touch on in this this podcast is the whole idea of poverty and specifically intergenerational poverty where um, parents have so much going on. They have food insecurity, housing insecurity, possible addictions, uh, lack of employment. They have chaos in their, their own families, lack of transportation. Transiency. Transiency. So many issues that are going on. And they may have mental health issues that, that they're dealing with. And in these homes, chil these children are in a language-poor environment versus a language-rich environment. And also there's the issue of connection. And we know, often use the term, they're in fight or flight. Yes. They're, they're in yes. almost like a, such a stressed scenario. They're right. on survival mode versus... Right. So they've actually done studies. And the brains of these little ones, say a four-year-old that's that's been living in this fight or flight mode for for their whole life, when they look at their brain their brain looks like the brain of a 40-year-old because it's aged so much because of the stress. And uh, you can imagine how... Or they're using, they're using uh, a different part of their brain right. uh, at a different level so yeah. that, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they can't get to thinking about reading or thinking oh, about no. uh, games or, or uh, conversation. No. As There's not enough safety and security and nourishment and and sleep and schedule and you know there's there's not enough of those basic basic uh things that would let them uh that readiness to learn that that little brain and it, i'm going to say young brain the preschool brain but actually even once they get to to school and all, all the way up to high school the same the same aspects occur there are neurological differences in the brain and the chemicals in the brain and the readiness to learn um, that uh, uh, fall into play. And there's two areas that uh, are, you know, not in necessarily the communication part of the brain, but we often talk about children and their emotional regulation. They're, they cry easily. They, they can't tolerate really much change or, or much direction and and uh, 
the same thing physically. They can't sit and stay and, and take enough time to listen to the story. They're up and around and moving all over the place and or they're, you know, uh, kicking or doing doing something that that uh, just is distracting to the rest of the group and all of those things that when you go back and look at it is not all just kids being bratty or oh, kids sure. not being able to to uh, 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 follow the rules or whatever they're not doing it to you this is a function of their brain and there's just hugely positive uh, research now in showing we can develop those parts of the brain. We can uh, facilitate emotional regulation and we can facilitate um, kids who quote quote have ADHD, the hyperactivity disorder, um, by, by doing different um, intensive things with their brain to settle them. It's, right. it's, there's just so much great news out there. Yeah. And I'd love to have, um, I hope we'll be able to do this in, in a future podcast is have a, an occupational therapist come on and talk about some of those regulation -y types of things that, that you can do that are non-speech ones, because I think they have a really good bag of tricks for that as well. And I'd, I'd like to hear what they think about the amount of intensity that's needed. Absolutely. And, and again, it, it is back to the fact that if a child hasn't experienced, say an, an example would be they didn't go to daycare, they didn't go to preschool and they arrive in kindergarten, they haven't rehearsed and their brains haven't practiced having to sit still and listen to a story or sit in a desk and do a task someone's telling them to do. I think that's a, a huge one is children really object to you telling them what to do. Most of them come and they haven't they have not practiced no. that skill and again it is it's it's not uh it's it's not just the skill we're talking about it's the fact the brain doesn't have a map for it right the brain right. hasn't been able to um practice that behavior yeah. Yeah. and therefore can't do it again easily no but but once you've done it another hundred times it's right. laying down a map and hey it's easier right i always think of uh listening probably maybe 15, 20 years ago in my career, I started seeing kids who, and maybe they were there before, but I more noticed them now, is kids who just came to school and could not listen. And it wasn't just the ones who had language disorders. It was a whole host of them. But it was because they hadn't been in a situation before where listening was re rewarded, where listening was reinforced, where if they listened, something good was going to happen. And so they didn't, they didn't know how to do it, they hadn't practiced it. And, and so I would read a little s story like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood's mom told her to go uh, take a basket to her grandma because her grandma was sick. And then, <laughs> and then you'd say, well, uh, where is Little Red Riding Hood going? And the, I remember asking a grade one class this, and they'd say, to the store. No, she, her mom didn't. And I'd say, her mom told her to take this basket to her grandma. Where's she going? To school. <laughs> and it's, it's just, they had vocabulary. They had words, but they didn't have the ability to listen to my words and make sense of them. And again, it could have been that some definitely had a language disability, but it was the whole class. 
<laughs> so yeah. not nothing that they had practiced before and therefore yes. couldn't have success at it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, part of, of again, uh, the excitement that I had in the last years in working with neuroscience and technology and having kids do things intensively were, uh, you know, some of the um, computer programs that had children work at their own level. And um, the other part of it was the measurement part. And hugely important for children to be able to self-monitor their own success. And, and the, um, that part is also being researched. And there is a lot of information telling us that if we can get that aspect of, the, of, of learning uh, and understand reward, it's the neurochemical part of reward. And every, every one of you probably listening can relate to the fact that you play games on your phone. And that sometimes you play games probably beyond really what you think you should be playing them. But there's reward in it, and it is intrinsically built in that computer technology and that software and that gaming that, um, you know, lets you, you know, uh, gain a level or, or uh, you get a little... Uh, something pops up or whatever. And that for children and that... Um, looking to the future is hugely important because it shows us that we can use smart technology to map kids brains in any venue if if the software is written at the the level that they can comprehend and they can work at their own level and they can monitor and see their rewards the learning is incredible and i personally have had so much success with that i i would if I could have could share that with uh, up and coming speech paths, um, oh my gosh! If you ever get a chance, that would be. Um, I I think everybody would be convinced if they would give it a, a real true try. Well, it's it's really exciting what's going on and um, what what are besides the the um, the actual programs is there are there any other yeah well computers and software and that sort of thing but oh my gosh some of the really exciting research in our field too uh and or behavioral fields is because uh the development of neurological pathways in the brain is electrical they have done a lot of, of research now in actually using magnets to pull electrical impulses down the specific pathways they want them to to go over and over and over and over and develop a pathway so some of that research that i've read about is um, for example trying to break the loops that have burned in to the brain with children with individuals with obsessive compulsive disorders that need to wash your hands need to wash your hands need to wash your hands and they can't get that loop out of their head but th by using magnets they can they can create a different pathway and um, change the behaviors that way so that's one of the research areas and also um, uh, some of the historic use of, of neuroscience and communication and for our, our partners in in uh, uh, communication is um, the development of the cochlear implant and that was incredible uh, uh, science that showed that we could use 
um, a mechanical device that that um, bridged that little area of the brain that couldn't run a, a neurological pathway. We we um, used a, a, an implant. Um, and, and substituted in uh, something and and we're able to let people actually hear sound that would ult ultimately never have heard sound before and and that understanding of that auditory processing had led to just um, changing people's lives incredibly and and the uh, one of the designers of cochlear implants uh, went on to uh, and ha is, has a, a huge um, uh, research network relating to um, neuroplasticity and it's called the brain revolution if you get a chance I think we'll put it up on our links there uh, when we get a chance and even uh, a couple of the things that i would seen most recently is people who have locked-in syndrome that's where again you cannot physically move your mouth to to formulate speech and you can't move your hands, you're completely paralyzed, but you have thoughts and you can communicate. And now they have found a way to uh, use implants in the brain to actually allow people to use a mouse for a computer and to control their uh, a wheelchair, uh, a power chair. And so just exciting yeah. advances. Yeah, it's, it's totally, totally thrilling. So how does this apply then to... Saskatchewan is it that we need to get the word out more or do we need more funding for technology or what what are your thoughts I think it's similar to what we've said in other podcasts is that that collective voice can we come together and can we let people know what's uh, been successful and working in the province and if I had a uh, a wish it would also be that at the educational level for for like you people who are, are uh, learning um, or have entered the teaching profession um, that at university they would get a class that we give them the, that basic um, information yeah. about the relationship of physical learning to mm -hmm. you know their uh, classroom learning that would be excellent well, our time is just about up here, so we better say goodbye. But uh, we'll be back with another podcast shortly, I'm sure. In the meantime, you can find our blogs or Sherry's blogs over at uh, letstalktalking.com. So for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. We'll talk to you soon. Look into that neuroscience, people. <laughs>